This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&As. It's Friday morning, so I'm a little bit later than I normally would be with these, but better late than never, right? So let's jump in and see what we got. First up, Sir Chicken said they've bought two cheap S-Video cables from different sources to run their PS2 Slim on a CRT, and both result in a fuzzy image. They have no problems with cheap cables with their SNES or N64, and the PS2 cables both have a composite connector as well as S-Video, while the Nintendo cables just have S-Video. Could the interference from the composite line cause the fuzzy image, or is the S-Video on the PS2 just bad in general? Um, that's a good question. So my gut's telling me it's unshielded bad cables. Um, Sir Chicken also wants to know, is it uh, possible to mod the cable to get a better image? So since you've already bought them, and since you've already described them as cheap cables, there is one thing you could try. If all of the cables and all of the connectors are in one tube on the outside, there's really not much you could do. But if it's individual connectors that are stuck together, like you'll see with the typical SNES composite cables, you could see there's actually three separate conductors, and if you really wanted to, you could slice them and pull them apart. If they're like that, very carefully slice down, pull off all of the composite video cable, and then cut it at the PS2 side. If you cut it at the connector side, it doesn't matter because the interference is still traveling up the cable. So I would not tell you to do this with good quality cables, but for a cheap cable, you already bought them. You might as well give that a try and see if it improves it. But if they're overall just unshielded cables, or sometimes a lot of these S-Video and composite cables, they're really just running the composite line through both, which is weird to say that, but they some of these cheap cables are really terribly, terribly made. So, you know, slice it down. If if it's that type of cable that you can separate the connectors uh, or the, the conductors, separate them down, cut it at the console side and see if that helps. Um, also, your comment about bought it from two different sources. Um, if you bought it from two handmade cable makers, then that's a good idea. But funny enough, if you went on Amazon or AliExpress and you bought two cables from two different sellers, you might've actually gotten the same cable. A lot of these super cheap cables are made in very large runs and they're just distributed to different sellers who stick different names on them and different stickers on them. The one thing that you could do is you could just go on eBay and buy a set of official Sony S-Video cables, which will run you a lot more. You know, you probably spend at least 40 or 50 bucks on them, but they're much better chance of getting a higher quality output. So um, I guess I would just start with cutting it and then kind of just go from there. And uh, thanks for the kind words. Next up, Brickfist wants to know if I would recommend an app like Lostless Scaling for upscaling retro games on PCs. 
I've never used this app, but just looking on the page on a Humble Bundle, it seems like you could choose different scaling methods. So if you have something in a window or I guess even full screen, you could scale it integer scale and if you wanted to keep it extra sharp. It, it seems totally fine. It seems like a really cool thing. It's also only five bucks, so I'll leave a link if anybody wants to try it out. I would be curious if it affects latency in any way. Um, it shouldn't. But it's just something you might want to keep in mind. Like, if you're able to beat your favorite games without it, and you can't beat them with it, then that's probably got latency. I know that's not a scientific method, but you're also talking to somebody who wastes so much time digging into uh, and obsessing over latency. But just the other day, on, on that Metroid livestream I did, I beat the game, and then I went back to help the developer Infidelity test the bug that we found in Torian, and I just did it through my capture card on my monitor right here, and I couldn't beat it. I could get up to Mother Brain, but I couldn't beat it. It's because of the latency that was added. So these are there are absolutely real-world things that you have to deal with with stuff like that. So, you know, while I always would prefer measurements just to get an idea, that's a really great way to, to judge it is, you know, for a $5 app that could really be a giant help for games that you want to scale that way, it's probably worth giving it a try, see how it feels, and if you have the ability to do any lag testing, Cool. Tony Escobar wanted to follow up on the Mr. CIFS to load ROMs over RetroNAS issue they were having, and it was working fine, and then they ran update all, and then it kind of stopped working and crashed again. So there's a couple of things to think about here. First, um, if you reflash an SD card and it's working and you run update all and it's not, it might not actually have anything to do with update all. It could be the Linux version because I've had a lot of bugs with the November Linux version um, that was part of the Mr. Build. And maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe I'm not testing it right. I am by no means a Linux expert. But I do know that on both of the Misters that I have sitting right in front of me, if I run Mr. Fusion, which loads the May version of Mr. Linux, no problems with Wi-Fi, I run update all, which gets the newer version of Linux, and I have tons of Wi-Fi issues. On top of that, if I uh, run Mr. Fusion, don't run update all, but just manually install the new version of Linux, I have the issue, and vice versa. I run update all, it crashes, or uh, Wi-Fi doesn't work at all, so then I manually just copy and paste the files for the last May version of Linux, and everything's working again. So it could be that. Um, I, I've talked to some of the people on the Mr. Team who are looking into it. It could not be that. It could just be that the advanced installation of Mr. over RetroNAS is a bit buggy still. I don't use it. I just use the basic because I just found that to be easier. The only thing that I, I think I would benefit from is saves on RetroNAS as well, but it's not too hard to just copy them over FTP. So I think your solution of just sticking to the basic ROM only for now is a good thing. And hopefully the team would be able to figure it out. But when I, um, when the info got to Sork, he couldn't reproduce it. So it's one of these things where it's like, well, how is he going to fix a problem that he can't see? You know, I'm obviously defending Sorg on this one. So, yeah, I don't know. So, uh, I, I'll keep everybody updated if I hear anything, but I think you've done the right thing just kind of backing it off and seeing where you're at from now. But the basic installation of RetroNAS, I have never, ever, ever had an issue unless my Wi-Fi doesn't load. So you should be good with that. Tony also wanted to follow up with the discussion we were having about Dreamcast video output, and apparently when DC Digital was set to 1080p out, it wouldn't work through the analog output, but when they switched DC Digital to 480p output, the analog output did work in 480p. 
which is weird because it's not supposed to do that. It's supposed to be independent of each other. Um, now, forcing 480p versus forcing 480i is definitely something that the DC Digital would affect. But you should be able, if it's in, um, if it's in 480p mode, you should be able to have 480p output of the analog and 1080p output of the HDMI. So I'm not really sure what happened with that, but I left a link to the DC digital manual if anybody's interested. And, uh, you know, if anybody wants to try and reproduce this problem, cool. But if not, at least you have a solution that works for you at the moment. Tony's now having some issue with some modes. Sorry, Tony. You're, I think you're having a streak of bad luck with this stuff, but uh, let's continue the question. Um, they have modes installed in their Dreamcast and Saturn, and they use separate WD Blue one terabyte SSDs for ROMs on each console. At first, they were able to easily mount the SSDs when they wanted to add games, but now both SSDs are unreadable on your laptops, but they're still read perfectly by the mode? They've tried their MacBook Pro, Windows laptop, and uh, different M2 docks. They've ejected the disks appropriately for both, and they think the SD SSDs are corrupted, but they've never seen anything like that before. Um, I haven't as well. The only time I have is when the docks weren't really working. So, um, and I know that's kind of strange, but I've definitely run into those things where like, uh, if you have a Western digital hard drive and a Western digital USB enclosure and you pull that drive out and you put a Seagate drive into it, it won't work. And that's not at all what you're talking about. I'm just saying I have seen drives not be compatible with certain docks and I don't know why that is. Um, but that's really weird. Uh, somebody on discord said maybe EX fat formatting was the problem and they should try fat 32. I mean, that wouldn't hurt, but that really shouldn't do that. And the weirdest thing about this is that it's still detected perfectly by the mode. So if you said they got corrupted, then that would be a, you know, a clue as to maybe it's the drive, maybe something's going on. But the fact that you can still read it in the mode and not in your PCs are very, very strange. I wonder if, if there could be any kind of corruption, um, is it possible that it, there's another partition created and you're not seeing the partition? You want to look in device manager and see uh, if it shows up as just one single EX fat, or if there's another partition and you need to change the drive letter, that could certainly be it. But uh, yeah, that's a weird one. Anybody ever run into that? Last one from Tony. They just picked up LaserBear's GameCube and N64 multi-out to Wii component multi-out adapter, and they want to make sure this will give them the same high-quality analog output via the multi-out compared to HDMI through a DAC, or is one superior to the other? So I got to back up for a second. This multi-out adapter is designed specifically for modded consoles. So if you have an internal GC dual installed inside your GameCube, you should be able to pass component video through the standard multi-out or the N64 Digital or N64 Advanced, you should be able to do that as well. Um, <coughs> with the N64 Advanced, that means you could actually switch it to either RGB or component video output from your N64. And this device is just a, basically a pin connector. So then you could use like HD Retrovision Wii cables to just get component video output. So um, now, as far as the laser bear adapter goes, that's not going to add any interference at all. It's a well-built adapter. Everything's routed properly. But is it going to be better than HDMI through a DAC? I'm going to guess that it's probably going to be the same, but more chance of it being compatible because some HDMI DACs are weird. I'm still waiting for that community built one to come out. So I would think that it's, um, 
safer from a compatibility, not a safety standpoint, but safer from a compatibility standpoint. And my guess is that it would be the same quality as a really high quality, well-built HDMI to component DAC. So I think you made the right move by picking that one up. And while, you know, while this solution is a bit complicated and not for everybody, if you've installed an N64 Advanced in your console and you just want component video out, this might be a really great way to do that. So I'll leave a link to the laser bear adapter for anybody interested. But yeah, I think that's a great solution. Next up, a couple of questions from Jason Guffey. And first, I screwed up the answer from last week. Last week, Jason asked about using an ODE for the PlayStation 1 that would still allow them to use their disk drive. And I answered as if it was the PS2. My bad. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can get the SIO, which would plug into the back port and you could still use your disk drive. There's all the drama around that. And if the games that you're looking to play are compatible, it's a totally fine solution. And if not, then I don't expect that to ever get updated. Uh, you, I thought Will's console mods was working on something like the Saturn switcher where you could install an X station along. Uh, you would replace the power supply with, uh, with this device that's an internal PSU and you move the X station over there and keep the original drive. But I don't know what happened to that. Um, I don't know if that was released and sold out or maybe a part shortage killed that project altogether, but that was something that Will had talked about. I just don't know if it was ever released. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think at the moment, the, the SIO is, uh, basically the only, the only one that I would know of, but I really hope more solutions come out for that because there's just so many of us that mostly want to use ODEs, but also appreciate having original discs. Um, Next up, they have some speakers in their game room that have their own wires already connected, but they're not long enough to reach their receiver. Would it be safe as far as quality and consistency of signal to splice some additional speaker wire onto them? Yeah, I would think about this, though. Uh, Are they super, super thin? If that's the case, you might want to cut them closer to the speaker now not super close because you want some kind of uh you know length on there in case you ever have to do this again and i would just add slightly thicker speaker wire you don't have to go crazy you don't have to match it exactly better to get a little thicker than a little thinner if you're trying to match it up like that but the only thing that i would absolutely recommend is make sure that it is just positive and negative i had a friend of mine that had these speakers these awful tower speakers (laughs) that uh they were connected to each other by one three pin cable and I couldn't figure out what the purpose of the third pin was. I figured it would just be left and right. So it was the same scenario. They needed them to be farther apart. So I opened up the head of the cable and I extended the cable and it never worked again. I had to order another cable from the company. So I have no idea what that could have been. Maybe one of them was power for the self-powered side. Uh, Usually with stuff like that, the amp is in one speaker and the other one is just a speaker in a box. But Yeah, so as long as it's just a positive and negative signal, you should be fine. If it's not just two connectors, I don't know. I would be careful about that. Don't make the same mistake I did. Um, Lastly, as far as solutions for getting PlayStation 3 to work on capture cards and whatever else uh, via HDMI, yes, of course, you could use the splitters that I always recommend, but are there any tiny little devices, basic like eDid emulator things that also help with PS3 compatibility. And they're supposedly are, but they're not consistent. I just bought one the other day where all the reviews were like, this helped me work with my PlayStation 3. And it didn't for me at all. Um, also, a couple of people had bought one recently and theirs worked and mine, without a doubt, didn't. So I would love something like this for this exact reason. 
Um, I think you all know my thoughts on HDCP. I think it's useless. And I think the only people it hurts is the consumers. Uh, or yeah, the only thing it does is hurt the consumers and it doesn't help anybody, but I don't know of one. And if anybody does know of one, please let me know. And respectfully, please remember that YouTube blocks links. They don't even show up in my held for review bin. So if you know of one that you just bought that works, like type out the description of it and then I could search from there. So yeah, I wish I had a recommendation for that, but you know, hopefully we could find one. Next up, Adam Adam Ant wants to know if I could weigh in on Billy Mitchell. No, absolutely not. That guy is a con artist in a scumbag. And I said years ago that I will never cover him on Retro RGB again. Um, and I think there is that video that was just released recently that goes into detail proving about all of the things that he had done. Um, I remember Firebrand X talking about it because FBX called him out. I mean, long before any of this drama for cheating him. And I think FBX might have even caught somebody else cheating as well. My apologies, both, if I got that one wrong. But yeah, it's uh, I just I don't I don't really want to get involved in that crap. I think that guy knows he's a fraud and he's just doing anything he can to stay in the news and sell his hot sauce and try and comb his mullet and make money any way he can. Because who the heck's going to hire that person? Who's going to hire somebody with a reputation of just cheating and lying their whole life? So yeah, no, I'm just going to take a polite pass on this one. Sorry, Adam. Next up, Oliver Clare just picked up one of those Sega Tower of Power triad kits that allow you to connect a 32X, Genesis, Mega Drive, and Sega CD, Mega CD all at the same time. And Oliver wants to know if the power supply that it came with, which is rated at 2.5 amps, is enough to power all of those things and a ROM cart. And if I remember correctly, um, that 2.5 amp, um, was uh, that conclusion was come to by Steve from HD Retrovision, as well as a few other people who were looking into the total power draw of all three. And supposedly it was perfectly fine. Uh, I have one of those tower power kits for the Mega Drive Mega CD thing I have back there. I think it's just out of, no, it's right there in view. Uh, I still got to sell that one actually, but uh, I, I worked absolutely fine for me. I didn't run into any issues. For me personally, I think I would have looked into getting a 3.5 amp version just for peace of mind, but you know, it could just be a waste of money. And I think that's kind of the point Steve had is sure you could use a 3.5 amp or a 20 amp, but are you going to charge your customers all that extra money when you don't need it at all? So I think it should be totally fine. And uh, I don't think you should have any problems just based on the people that tested it. But if you are at all nervous about any of that stuff, you could certainly power, you know, one of them from a separate adapter and then two of them from the Tower of Power adapter. But I'm pretty sure my gut's telling me you should be fine just based on the people who tested those before it went out. I'd also like to know, there. I know there are definitely people that say, oh, well, you know, minimum of three amps, ideally five amps to power all those. But why do they say that? Do they actually have power draw readings that they took of these consoles that show their spikes that hits on that? Or are they just somebody like me that errs on the side of caution and didn't realize all the research that went into saying 2.5 should be fine for everything without a problem? And that's not, I'm not throwing shade on whoever said three to five amps. I'm just saying if they didn't know the people and the knowledge of the people who had made those tests, I would have said the same thing. Uh, but based on the people who tested it, I, I think it should probably be a safe bet. 
Next up, Fullbug saw that the G-Comp Switch was now open for pre-order, and they wanted to get two of them to daisy chain together to have up to 15 total inputs, but they wanted to know if there was any issues or caveats that I could warn them of. Only one. Make sure that the cable that you're using to connect the two are good cables. I would just use HD Retrovision cables because they're under 20 bucks or about 20 bucks, and yes, they're, they're not as short as you probably would have liked them to be, but you could just creatively curl them up and do some cable management because those things are so well shielded, they're going to perform equal to or better than your average shorter cables that you would find. So that's really the only thing that I would add to that is just make sure that the cables you're using to connect the two and then of course to connect them to your display are high quality cables. Also, um, since it has two outputs on each, one of the outputs on whichever switches in the back would still be free. You could totally still use that as well. That's kind of an impractical thing, but you never know. Maybe some consoles you're only going to want to use on a consumer-grade CRT, and then the other one you might want to go to your scaler and something else as well. So you could feel free to use that. But no, there's absolutely no issues at all. Just remember that if you use crap cables... No switch in the world is going to save that. So uh, hopefully I'll point you in the right direction. And thanks for the kind words. Next, Marcello Medini wanted to know if I had a suggestion for a surround sound setup in the $1,500 to $2,000 range. So that's such a hard question to answer because what are you going to be using all of this stuff for? Are you going to be using it for mostly gaming and movies? Are you also going to be using it for vinyl, cassette, you know, or any analog formats, basically? And are you going to have CRTs in there? So do you need to get magnetically shielded speakers or not? It's a very, very hard question to ask. So I would look at the total setup and the total goals. If you were looking to do something like, you know, no CRTs at all, mostly gaming and movies, no vinyl, no cassette, you know, nothing like that, then... Honestly, there's a ton of stuff out there that should be able to hit that price range. But if this is going to be your forever setup, right? And you have some CRTs and you have, you're planning on eventually getting vinyl and cassette and all that stuff. I would kind of take a step back and see what you could get now to start with. And the decision that I had made, which just because I did it doesn't mean it's going to work for anybody else. But the decision I made of getting that NAD amp, which was very expensive, by far the most expensive amp I've, I've ever bought, but it was pretty awesome, and it has an analog pass-through mode that just really gives you the perfect raw amplifier sound for things like cassettes, and I, I guess for old video games as well, if you really want that analog sound from it, but it also has Dolby Atmos and a whole bunch of other things, but that and two fully shielded bookshelf speakers, the Ascend Acoustics, uh, you could get the refurbished NADs as well for much cheaper. So you could end up getting that amp and probably three front speakers for that price range. And that would be amazing. But if you don't need all of that stuff, that's kind of a waste. So maybe you should look into getting some ELAC speakers, uh, bookshelf and center. So maybe get five bookshelves in one center, see what that hits your budget for, and then maybe check out whatever amps you could afford in that price range. Uh, do you need Atmos ceiling speakers? Do you do you want that right away? Is it something you want to upgrade to? There's just so many factors involved, and the only things I'm really comfortable recommending are things that I have a ton of experience with, like magnetically shielded speakers, CRTs, stuff like that. Do you need a good analog audio amp or not? So 
yeah, I don't know. I, I'm going to be mostly useless to you in this one, other than just saying that if you need C or if you need support for CRTs, then maybe watch that surround sound video that I had done. And if not, then I would just start with a good set of bookshelf speakers. I love the Elax. They're not magnetically shielded, but I would start with there, see how many of those you could afford in your budget, see what amp is left over and kind of just go from there. Well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks very much to anybody who participates in these. And if you want to ask a question, ask anything you would like, wherever it is that you support in the latest Q&A post. I ask that both because it's really hard to find a new question on an old post, but also because I like just scrolling through in real time and talking as if we're hanging out somewhere. Very often, all the questions end up just on Patreon because that's where the most supporters are, but it's not limited to that. Wherever you support, just ask a question. And uh, if I ever miss one, it's only because it either came in after I finished recording, but before it was uploaded, or if I did something dumb like accidentally delete the file and post. But if uh, if I ever miss anything, feel free to reach out direct. And uh, if not, um, you know, once again, thanks for doing these. I have a good time. And uh, especially thank you to everybody who supports because it's you who's keeping all of this stuff going. So thank you all very much. And I'll see you next week.